0: Proverbs chapter 16, let's begin in verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Divination is on the lips of the king. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. Honest weights and scales are are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of the latter rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. so grateful, Father, that it doesn't change. We need it to remain the same amazing revelation of yours every single moment of the day. Thank you, Father, that you are steadfast in what you say. We're grateful, Lord, that you have revealed these things and you moved on men of God to say these things, to write these things down. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for validating the Old Testament and promising the new. And we're grateful that you can oversee all of that so easily because of who you are. And now we ask that you would shape us and mold us and fashion us and Further to into the further into the image of Christ, we want to be made more mature disciples as a result of these verses and your work of your Spirit in our lives this morning. We commit it to you. We ask that you would set it aside for your holy use, and we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. Been so great just to look at all of this wisdom that's been packed in the in this book. It's just. I never have studied through it like I've studied through it, because I never taught it before. When you t- teach something, as many of you know, you learn something way better than you ever would being a student. And we've seen this amazing revelation of God's priority on using His wisdom, And he's described those who don't act upon His wisdom as fools. Doesn't matter what their intellect, doesn't matter what their experience is? doesn't matter how well they obeyed in the past? if they're not currently obeying what God has said to do, they're foolish. And we're foolish if we do that. And God doesn't want that for us. He wants a better life. He wants the abundant life. And that life comes through doing what he says and loving him. and Loving him first with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those. And so for us, as we've looked at these verses and as we look at this wisdom God has used these things in our lives to, to speak to us right now what he how he's working in our lives right now but also he's given us plenty to tuck away in our hearts so that when we deal with specific situations in the future that he will bring these things up as it was said to me as a new Christian I can't believe it's been this long but 27 years ago it's our job to get it in and it's his job to bring it out of us terms of his word when we need it and it's so amazing how he does that and he does it so just perfectly so today as we look at chapter 16 the first half of it we're going to see a lot of God's sovereignty he's going to focus on his sovereignty in a lot of different areas that are very significant and he's going to talk about God's sovereignty in working with man's choices He's going to talk about God's sovereignty related to working with kings and those in authority. He's going to look at God's sovereignty related to dealing with the wicked, that he is sovereign over the wicked. So when someone pulls you over or cuts you off in traffic, that pulls you over, that would be someone that... Well, that could be wickedness too. You never know. I mean, it's all the heart of man. But when someone someone cuts you off, um, God's sovereign over that person's life. We don't have to try to get him back. And I see things on the road today, like how do these people make it another ten minutes without just de- destroying themselves? And they're chasing each other. And oh, I just try to stay over in the the lane, and just I'm good. Just don't merge into me. I'm fine. Just leave me alone, and just try to stay out of trouble. Because I can get in there too. I can be Mario Andretti out there if I don't, if I'm not careful. Um, but then he shows that he's sovereign over working with the righteous. And that's us. We are positionally righteous and 100% holy before God. Practically speaking, we're growing and we fall short. But positionally, we are righteous, 100% righteous before him. We begin in verse 1 here. It says, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And just hold your place here. I want us to turn over to another passage just to look at a couple verses in Philippians chapter 2 so hold your place here and let's turn over to Philippians chapter 2 because he's going to be talking about these things and God working in our life and being sovereign and working with man's will in part in concert and there's a New Testament verse that's really really good to help us understand how all that works or at least uh, a New Testament perspective on what we're going to be seeing this morning Philippians chapter 2 and I want to begin reading in verse 12 Philippians 2:12 Therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out not work for but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now usually when it talks about God's sovereignty, always within the same verse or some verse that's nearby, it talks about human responsibility and how they work perfectly together. And those in the body of Christ that are so focused on the sovereignty of God and don't believe we have a free will they think that we are robbing God of glory by believing that we have a free will. But I think it brings God more glory to say that he can be sovereign, but at the same time, give us a choice in the matter. And he holds us responsible for those choices. At the great white throne judgment, only those that are there are getting judged because they rejected Christ. Their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. And also there's other books that are open. But they're there because they're being held responsible for their choice. So if they didn't have a choice, then that means that God couldn't hold them accountable. God would be the one on trial on that day, legitimately, because they had no capacity to choose him and do the right thing. So here in Philippians, it says that he tells us that we're supposed to work out our own salvation, talking about our own process of growing, because you know, we, we were saved we are being saved, and we will be saved in Scripture. So we were saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We're being delivered from the power of sin and all those things. And then someday we will be saved from the very presence of sin, getting our new bodies and being in heaven where nothing wicked will be there. So he's talking about work out our, the process of us growing in our salvation with fear and trembling, with, with sobriety. We're going to see in chapter 16 of Proverbs about the fear of the Lord and how that works in our lives for us to live holy lives, to go to him, for him to bear fruit through our lives. But then verse 13, it brings in God's responsibility of this. Verse 12, we see ours, but verse 13, God's responsibility. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God's doing, he's working in our lives and providing our desire to, to please him and our desire to do what's right and to bless him and, and and do the things that he wants us to do. So that's the New Testament version of what we're going to see today. We're going to see three specific Proverbs dealing with Him working with mankind. So we can turn back to Proverbs 16. And so let's look at let's think about verse 1. So the preparations of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And notice he begins with the preparations of the heart. He doesn't say the mind. He says the heart. This is our desires, our emotions, the deepest parts of who we are in many ways. Our hearts, we have preparations. Those things we do. We have those things that originate from us. And so they're not just mental decisions and all of that. They're desires. They're all those things. But God is sovereign over those things and he works through those things in our lives we can have all these plans we have to be careful about plans yesterday at the men's conference one of the speakers talked about plans and purposes and how we can have all these plans but God wants us to focus on our purpose because he wants us to fulfill God's purposes in our life and have him use us and all of that and sometimes our plans they don't go the way that we think but they'll, they may go a different direction, but his purposes can still be accomplished because he still has those things uh, us in the middle of those things for specific purposes for the gospel's sake. And he he, he used one of the scriptures when Paul talks about that. You know, didn't things didn't go to plan, but it worked out for for the good because of the gospel's sake. And now those in the, in, in the household that was in Rome and all of that they're hearing the gospel. So it didn't happen according to the plans of Paul, but he used. God used that, and Paul was submitted to the fact that there's greater purposes uh, for his circumstances. So it's beautiful. If I'm submitted to him and want his will, and when it's time to make a decision, and I'm submitted to what he wants, he can give me the answer. I believe that's what it's talking about, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It's like when I have to pull the trigger on a decision. You know, I have these preparations and all these things and I, and I have these desires and everything and I'm praying about those things and I'm submitting those things to the Lord and I don't really know necessarily what to do. But when it comes down to that moment in time where I have to answer and I have to give a decision to somebody about something that's going on is I'm submitted to him in generally and all those things that the Lord can give me that answer in that moment and he does and it's beautiful how God does that. But those plans that we have need to be prayed over. We, you know, James talks about, don't say, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to move here, and, and, and all these things, but say, if it's the Lord's will. He hasn't told us to just decide on our own what we're going to do. You know, in California, it's getting harder and harder to live sometimes for us as believers. Things seem to get worse and worse related to politics and decisions and all those things, and God may want to have us move on to another place. Absolutely he may want us to do that but he may not want to he want us to just because we naturally would have a leaning towards it doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean that's from him i mean the light shines the brightest in the darkness so i mean someone has to be in california to preach the gospel to the lost people you know so that that's that's something but i mean i'm just one giving one little example it could be anything that we come in contact with we have to bring those things with before the lord and trust him and seek him and pray because again on a daily basis we're called to take up our cross daily and follow him and his plans become our plans and our hearts begin to change and we start wanting what he wants for our lives and his plans end up become our wants and that's when we've really hit it when our desires become what he wants And we want only what he wants because we see that he's good and we see that he's loving and we trust that his plan is best for us. And he only wants great things for us, even though it'll be difficult at times. And there's no part of God's plan that isn't difficult. You know, uh, I mean, generally speaking, because he said in this life you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's a promise that believers don't want to claim. And so, but it's true, he was honest with us. So we have to recognize that. And so he works perfectly with our desires, but at the same time, our desires, he wants to become increasingly his desires. Verse 2, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So here we have man's ways, and man's the way he thinks, and then God weighs the spirit. So we're talking about man's thoughts now, of what he uh, uh, thinks is right and appropriate for his life, but God weighs the Spirit. There's moral relativism. It's pervasive, so common in our culture. Where you, and, and the Bible describes moral relativism really good, or really well, whatever the proper grammar is in the Old Testament, that they did what's right in their own eyes. Over and over again, this cyclical pattern in the Old Testament, they did what was right in their own eyes, and which means that they serve false gods, they serve themselves, God judged them, they cried out for help, God took them back, they walked with God for a while, then they got off track again, they did what's right in their own eyes, God judged them, and it's this cycle in the Old Testament. And we can get so prideful and think, oh, you know, that's, that's the Old Testament, those, those, those carnal Jews, you know, I, I, that's not me, that would never be me, and, and it's like, but it's the picture of the Christian life in many ways. We do what's right sometimes in our own eyes and, and we're not bringing those things before him. So especially with the person that's backslidden, they start defending their sin and like, it's right and I'm, I'm going to defend this. They never would have thought that before, but now they're doing it and all that. But God weighs the spirits. Interesting. Before we come to know Christ, our spirit is inoperable, the scripture says. We're dead in trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible says. We don't have a spiritual life Before we come to know Christ, it's inoperable related to connection with God. That's what the scriptures say. But then we come to know Christ and He makes our dead spirit alive. And now we have that communion spiritually with God that He always intended for us to have. So He weighs the spirits of man. He looks and He assesses man's spirit. Is it alive? Is it dead? Is it tuned into me as a believer? Is it not? Is it? Uh, submitted to me, all of those things. It's our true inner man. It's the part of us that's going to go beyond us when we go to be with him, our spirits. So it's pure in our own eyes, but the Lord weighs these spirits. Verse 13. I love this verse. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Now, sometimes we read this we don't even try to do this, but sometimes we just naturally put this word in place of another. We, we read it, commit, you know, commit our thoughts to the Lord and our works will be established. But it says commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Our good works lead to further thoughts related to those good works and other things. As we submit our works to him and as we go to him and say, Lord, I know that your word says in Ephesians 2.10 that you've created us in Christ Jesus for good works, that you prepare in advance that we should walk in them. I recognize that, and I want to fulfill what your plan is for my life. And you start walking in those things, then there's more clarity in our thoughts for how to walk in those works and how to do other works that are related to them and all these other things that he has for us that he wants to reveal to us. He does it as we submit our works to him. Works are really important. We usually don't think of works a lot as believers because sometimes that context is only brought up in the context of before we knew Christ, where we know we can't be saved by our works. Yes, that's true. But he created us in Christ Jesus for good works meaning we are giving our lives away. We are focused on others. We are being other-centered. That's not, that's not heard. That message isn't being broadcasted super loudly or, or predominantly in many churches, unfortunately. There's a lot of self-focus. And when you look at scriptures, you see that God is the focus, and getting our eyes off ourselves and onto others is the focus, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself. Where's the self-focus in that? it's not there it's focusing on now that doesn't mean that we can't deal with things in our lives and think about our lives there's a stewardship there and all of that and we do get blessed and God wants us to be blessed but we get blessed not as us not as as we directly chase after those things but as we put our focus on God and put focus on others then we live that abundant life and we're blessed indirectly not because we're focused on it so it's beautiful we are called to abide in Christ, which means to dwell in him, to make our home in him, to rest in him. And then he's going to bear fruit through our lives. John 15, Jesus talked all about it. And apart from him, we can do nothing, he said to the disciples. Yeah, I'm sure the disciples are like, nothing? I mean, what's, what's the original pig Latin say? I mean, uh, you know, maybe uh, he, he didn't mean that or, you know, it's like, nothing? I mean, come on, we had to bring something to the table. It's like, no, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to be completely dependent upon him. And as we commit those things to him, and as we walk in those things, further godly thoughts and direction and the mind of Christ being manifested in our, in our lives comes forth. And it's, it's beautiful, and he loves to do it. Verse 4, The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked, for the day of doom. You know, it's important for us to see that God has made all things for himself. Sometimes we think he's made all things for us. <laughs> it's all for me. And it is for us. That's how he's, he chooses to share what he's made for himself with us. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 tells us, For his good pleasure everything was made. And 1 Timothy six seventeen says, He's given us all things to enjoy. So yes, he has given things for us to enjoy, but that's how he's choosing to share what he's made for himself. And it brings him glory, and it's, it's beautiful. So he has made us for himself. He has made everything for himself. We have to recognize, again, this is more God's sovereignty coming through. He's made all things for himself. And we just want to reflect those things that he's done in us so that his name is famous. And he's made known and people come to know him and all those things. Now let's deal with this last part of verse 4. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. God is sovereign over all judgment. He's sovereign over the wicked. And one of the hermeneutic principles or the Bible interpretation principles that we need to understand is that scripture interprets scripture. God's never going to contradict himself. So we have to look at what all of scripture says. Does God create people just for the purpose of judging them and sending them to an eternal hell? No. Now, why do I know that? Because I know that other scriptures teach that he wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 says he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So if he created people specifically just for the lake of fire, then he couldn't want all men to be saved, and he couldn't call all men to repent. It's impossible. Scripture has to balance out Scripture, and that isn't the only verses that talk about, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There's many, many scriptures that talk about that. So that's, it's, it's, for, it's for us to look at responsibly, and it can mean a couple di- at least a couple different things. It can mean that God is preparing those who he knows won't or refuse to repent for the day of judgment. Like when it talks about he made, he's talking about, He's preparing those that have already rejected, that are rejecting. He knows that will breathe their last and not, you know, respond correctly the way he wants them to, related to trusting in him, that he is going to take care of all the details that justice is done. And, And those things are going to happen. Or it could also, and or actually, it could mean that he uses certain kingdoms to punish others. And the day of doom is not talking about an eternal day of doom or eternal lake of fire specifically, but that it's talking, talking about judgment here on earth. And we've seen evidence of that in scripture. The Jews experience that. He uses Babylon. They serve false gods. The Jews, the the, 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 the Judah, the southern kingdom, they... They ignored God, and then God sent prophets to tell them, to warn them. They blew all that off. Okay, you're going to serve false gods? You're going to ignore the Sabbath rest for your land and all that? I'm going to put you in another land, and you're going to get plenty of gods. You're going to get plenty of idols all around you for 70 years. So he uses kingdoms. In fact, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that he raises he raises up kings and and. And for certain purposes, and he takes him down, and all of that. He's sovereign over all those things. And so we have to recognize that God is overseeing those things as well. And he can use those kingdoms to punish other kingdoms. You know, it, we're told that God holds the heart of the king in his hand. And it's not just kings that are submitted to him, he's sovereign over all, everyone in authority. Romans clearly teaches that. And so God is sovereign over all those things. The bottom line is this, that God is sovereign over everyone and everything. And he made everything for himself. He is sovereign over even the wicked. And how he deals with them is going to be appropriate. And if they won't repent, he will use them to judge others potentially. And and then there will be for them an eternal lake of fire, unfortunately. That's what the scripture teaches and we don't want that that's why he wants us to preach the gospel and be busy about proclaiming the kingdom of God and all those things so that he can prevent as many people from that end as possible verse five everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the lord though they join forces none will go unpunished so just the pride that's in our hearts and it reminds me especially when they talk about joining forces of psalm 2 at the end of the seven-year tribulation, just as they're converging on Israel, they're, they're coming against the Antichrist. Just at that moment when they're coming and they're, they're, they're going to you know, attack him with everything that they have, then the second coming happens. And, and Jesus is coming down. We saw this when we went through the book of Revelation. He's coming on that horse, and we're following behind him. And he's coming down, and then they look and they see Jesus coming. And they said, let's join forces against him. As if, like, how do you even begin to think about how stupid that is? I mean, just, and, and it says that God just laughs at him, just laughs at him. But that's what I, and it's nothing but the pride of man that would think that they could do that. But, you know, we don't, you know, it's not just unbelievers. We can have pride in our own hearts. We do have pride in our own hearts at times, and we have to watch against that. And one of the things that we're warned about, I want to read a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, where Paul says this by the Spirit, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. What does all that mean? It means that we can't compare ourselves to each other. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to see ourselves above. That's what the word pride means, is to see yourself above. And it was such on my heart today, or or this week for today, because all of us have pride and all of us have to guard against that. All of us do. But this church is in the middle of a very strategic geographical location. And we're going to be doing lots of outreach. We're planning a harvest party. Halloween alternative here. We're planning VBS as we've announced. We're, I mean, all different kinds of outreach. We're reaching out to these schools, maybe providing clothing for that elementary school down there for people, the children that don't have clothing. There's a lot of strategic things that he's going to have us be doing. And there's going to be some uncomfortable things maybe that we're going to experience with people that aren't like us. And we have to be very sensitive to that. Because Jesus loves everybody the same and we're not better than anybody and we have to be flexible and and, and and humble and and just be loving to everybody some people will it'll take them months maybe to get the courage to come in those doors and they can't as I said last week they can't have it to where they're ignored and invisible like they are everywhere else they have to see a difference. They have to see people that love unconditionally. They have to see people that are not prideful, that are not thinking that they're better than anybody, that just come and embrace them and love them. There are people that, have, that I've talked to that used to be in the apartments that we sponsor that have told me, I have never experienced love in my whole life and I dreamed that this could be true. And I'm experiencing it for the first time in my life. That has to be what they get when they come around us regardless of wherever we're at we go everywhere the church leaves here and goes and is all over the place in in this community and all over the city they have to be able to experience the love of christ wherever we go which requires us to not be proud in heart pride was the first sin ever committed lucifer had pride in his heart wanted to be worshiped like god we have to be careful against that. We have to be very, very careful. If we're going to be ready and prepared for what God, how he wants to use us in this very strategic place, we have to be very loving, very humble, and see ourselves for who we really are. We're no better than anybody else. I mean, literally. It's not like we have to just think the certain, you know, like conjure it up and okay I have to convince myself that I'm not as good as the other person that's just going through an act we have to really see ourselves how we really are we're all just beggars that have found bread just telling another beggar where bread can be found we have to be so open and so loving we have failed miserably in many different ways in our lives myself included and as a church to to be that open and loving and caring I know we've had great times, we've done it, we've hit our target many times, many times we haven't. And I take responsibility for that. We have to be open and and, and humble before him. Verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. The word atonement in the Old Testament means to cover, in the New Testament, means to be taken out of the way. and But we see in mercy and truth, I mean, that's the basis for any atonement that's, that's happened on our behalf. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's merciful. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. And it's beautiful how God thinks of everything, and he's done that with the atonement. But really, it is the fear of the Lord that, that one departs from evil. It's recognizing he cares about our behavior. He cares about what we do and what we don't do. He he knows our thoughts. He knows our motivations. Accountability is great, but it can only go to a point. Ultimately, that person, even with all kinds of accountability, can do the wrong thing. We have to fear the Lord. We have to hate evil. And we have compromised, generally speaking, as the church in America by wanting to be like the world and letting these things in and compromising holiness. And it grieves the heart of God and it quenches the Holy Spirit. And we have to continue to grow in not doing that. He doesn't say that by legalism, one departs from evil, by man-made rules. He says the fear of the Lord, that awe and reverence of the Lord and what he thinks about my life and be quick to repent. The more we grow in the Lord and the more we become mature in the Lord, the more we'll be repenting and the, 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 the frequency will be increasing because we're getting closer to him. We're getting closer to perfection. And the more he's measuring our lives and the things that we're repenting of now are totally different things, but they're things that are a result of being even closer to him. You see anyone that sees in the scriptures, you see anyone that sees the Lord, they're, not, they're, they're on their face before him. They're saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. They're falling on their face. They're, they're saying, I'm undone. Peter says, I'm, I'm, "I'm depart from me. I'm a sinner. I mean, the closer you get to God, the more you're repenting, the more you're confessing sin. That's something that's healthy. The, the, the image, mirage, and error is that the more mature we get, the less repenting we do. That's not the case. Verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. God works on the other end. We forget that. Now, there are there is persecution. There, Paul the Apostle had plenty of enemies that weren't at peace with him. And there is persecution. But how many more wouldn't have been at peace with him? How much more persecution would he have received or whatever? He, God does those things. He takes our lives and he compensates. And as we do the things that are pleasing to the Lord, yes, there are going to be people that persecute us, not understand. They're going to say the wrong things about us. They're going to come to a wrong conclusion. But there are also going to be others that normally would be our enemies that become our friends. That realize that we're good. That we're on the side of truth. And they have a, a positive response. I love that verse. It's beautiful. He does work in that way. Verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. And we've seen him say better is a little. But another verse just... Um, just a few weeks ago, we saw him talk about better as a little with, with righteousness and all that. And it's true. God wants us to have contentment. He wants us to, to, to have the right things be the focus in our lives. Righteousness and holiness and growing and all those things. And we can have vast revenues and get those things in, in immoral ways. And we are empty inside. There's plenty of people that are wealthy that are completely empty because they're not right with God. Or, they've, or and or, they've, they've gotten their wealth in an immoral way. So righteousness is the key. Here's another sovereignty verse related to the way that God directs us. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I've leaned on this particular proverb many, many times. It's very comforting to us. Notice it says the man's heart again, not his mind, his heart. And and, and the way, his way, a way is a longer thing than steps. Steps are short little things, right? So he says, A man's heart plans the way, but his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Sometimes the Lord places on our heart the big picture, generally speaking, the way he wants us to go, but we don't know how he's going to fulfill that, the specifics. And sometimes we don't start walking until we want him to lay out every little step ahead of time before we start going on that journey. Now, we don't see that in Scripture. We see him say, go, and okay, we're going. Abraham left towards the promised land. He didn't have any details, but the Lord directed his steps, every single step. And he wasn't perfect along the way. He made plenty of mistakes that we can learn from. But God dealt with the little parts. You could say it this way. A man's heart plans his miles, but the Lord directs his inches, which lead to the miles. And it's, it's, it's a great, incredible comfort. Even in our mistakes, we know we're the general direction that we're going. and We make mistakes along the way, but God redirects us. So when we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, we lean not on our understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him. He directs our paths too, not just our steps, but our paths. And then he takes care of those details. It's beautiful. Verse 10. Divination is on the lips of the king. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. Now, it's it's not talking about him using divination like what's forbidden in Leviticus 19 and all these things. He's talking about that God is sovereign over what a king does. If a king is, of course, in, in an increasing way, submitted to him. it's talking about divine um, instruction or divine precepts or those things is on the lips of the king his mouth must not transgress in judgment you know God had a lot to say and we're going to deal with a few verses here that talk about kings we're going to see it over and over again and one of the things that you see when you study the Old Testament and when you study right before they're going into the land God talked to them and you can write this this set of verses down in your margin right here and you can read it on your own Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. Basically, God tells them, you're getting ready to go in the land and you're going to choose a king. I'd rather have you be, me be your king, but you're going to choose a king and this is what you need to stay away from. You need to not, these kings that shouldn't multiply wives, they shouldn't multiply horses, especially from Egypt. You don't want to go go back there. And, and the reason one, of the, and you should number the people, and all these things that dealt with the three, the pride of life, you know, the the less of the eyes, less of the flesh, the pride of life, and all those things that the king would be trusting in numbers, trusting in horses, you know, going, having his his heart being redirected the wrong way because of the false. Uh, gods that these foreign women could influence. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon, who's writing all these Proverbs that we're reading. And I mentioned in the beginning of the book, that, and many times after that, that Solomon disobeyed all these things. So you can write them. You, got, you could be the, the wisest person on earth, the wisest person besides the Messiah, of course, was Solomon. He disobeyed these things at the end of his life. We're told that he imported horses from Egypt. He had 700 wives. 300 concubines, many of whom were foreign women that influenced him. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 11 that he allowed them to turn his heart and serve false gods. He ended up getting 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. He got horses from Egypt. Like everything that God laid out, the third king of Israel disobeyed. And we have to, again, recognize that we could do the same thing. We could start out so well but we can end up so poorly and, and have things turn out horribly because of forgetting what God's already told us in his word. Yes, we're doing it now or we did it back then, but we're not we're 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 in danger of going getting off track and 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 not doing the things that he's called us to do. It's very very it's a big warning for us. Verse 11. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. So he hates that dishonest measuring of things and business and and those shady things that no one knows but God and all that. He hates all those things, and he doesn't want us to engage in false business practices or anything like that. Verse 12, it is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. Wouldn't it be great if we had leaders that were more concerned about righteousness than making themselves rich. I don't care what party you're talking about. I wish we had the godly party. The godly party. Not independent, but godly. Not Democrat, not Republican, the godly party. And all of a sudden, there was a leader that came up from that, and he was the leader of the godly party. And he did things godly and righteously, and the world would hate him because the world hated Jesus. If Jesus were here today, they'd crucify him all over again, probably faster. They say all these great things about him, great moral teacher, they'd have him on that cross so fast. Sad, but that's the truth about authority, and that's the truth about how God establishes those things. You know, God isn't against monarchies. They just have to be godly monarchies. And God knew ahead of time that those monarchies would be flawed, and that's why he wanted the Jews to have him be their king that whole time. But they didn't want. They wanted, to be, they wanted the approval of the world. They wanted to be like the world and, and have a king just like the other nations did. They had something better. They chose something that was superior to something inferior, and it put them at risk and caused a lot of problems in their, in their history. So that's how thrones are established by righteousness. Verse 13 Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. So if you're an advisor to a king, and the greater application is you're probably not. So those in authority and those that you're under, they value if you speak what is righteous and what is holy. Don't be afraid to say what is holy in a situation. We're supposed to be salt and light. It doesn't mean that we're the sin police and we go around convicting people of sin. You know, as it's been said, we make a lousy Holy Spirit. He's way better at convicting of sin. We're not called to do that. But we still have to stand up for what's right. So we need to speak what is right to those in authority. Verse 14, as messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. So we, we, the, the king's wrath will be appeased by messengers that are honest. And, and he's kind of carrying on the same idea as verse 13. Verse 15, in the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of the latter rain. The latter rain was the springtime rain that happened right before harvest and it was considered a blessing. And so the, the, his, we want the favor of those that are in authority, but of course we're not called to compromise what well, God's called us to say and do to do that. We have to do what's right. Verse 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So we can, and he's already talked about using wisdom and understanding, and those things can lead to getting gold and silver. God's okay with that as long as those things are submitted to Him and done right and correctly and appropriately, and all those things. But what can happen is, as we use God's wisdom and His what His Word tells us to do, and do the right thing, we're good stewards, and He begins to bless us with silver and gold. Then we can start letting those things affect us, and we can start valuing those things more instead of the wisdom that got us those things and god warns us against that so much better to get wisdom than gold if you have a choice always choose wisdom how many chapters seven chapters we went through where he's venerating and lifting up the 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 value of wisdom over anything else in this world it's amazing we have to keep seeking after him let's pray together Lord, we submit our lives to you. Thank you for your amazing revelation and wisdom in these verses. Use them for your purposes in our lives, Lord. Make us more like Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you love to speak to your children. And we want to not just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers of your word. So whatever you spoke to us about, Lord, help us to consider those things and and let you help us obey those things on a moment-by-moment basis whenever we need to. We thank you for the privilege of living a different kind of life, a Christ-like life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.